With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 37th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also strive to provide listeners worldwide with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel site. I sincerely appreciate all of you who tune in each week. And I know I have so many listeners from all over the world, so thank you. Now, if you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my radio show, please also get in touch. And for those of you in Africa or close to Antarctica, if you need help with information security or privacy, please get in touch. You know, I've I've been to the other continents, but I've not been there yet, uh, at least not yet. So I would love to visit your areas to do work for you and then stay around for a few days to do some exploring. Thanks also for all of your questions you're sending me. I really love getting all of them, so please keep sending them in. My October Privacy Professor Tips message was published on September 28th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. I've always provided them for free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And please send me an email letting me know who is your privacy hero. This can be somebody at your work or in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages all throughout 2018. Now, my show today is dedicated to answering as many of the dozens of questions that I've received from my listeners and tips readers as time will allow. Now, these are questions that I've not answered directly to those who sent them to me yet. So I'm not going to provide a separate tip right now as I usually do, and I've gotten so many great questions from listeners that as I was looking at the calendar and planning for today's show, I thought, well, what the heck? October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month which is truly being observed not only just in the U.S., but I know so many of you in other countries are also observing this month, too, to raise awareness. So, you know, it really is the perfect time to answer as many of those questions as possible. And then I thought, 
as I was considering all these questions, I thought, oh, it's going to be kind of boring if it's just me answering all of them myself. Plus, I would love to get another perspective from someone else who's an information security and privacy expert um, to, to get their input and add things that I might miss or not even think about. So I've gotten someone I've always um, had great conversations with, and I've known both as a business colleague as well as a good friend for close to 25 years now. Where did the time fly? And also someone who always has really great insights and advice on information security. Today, I am happy to speak with Dr. Terry Curran, cybersecurity IT faculty at Kaiser University. Dr. Curran is a highly experienced and passionate cyber information security practitioner. Terry has filled the chief information security officer role at multiple global consumer goods and manufacturing organizations. Terry was recognized as a security luminary by Information Security Magazine and is also a globally recognized speaker and mentor. Dr. Curran is a peer reviewer for Elsevier's Computers and Security Journal. She was a faculty member at Northeastern University, and this is so cool. She's co-leading the correct uh, the creation of a new global ANSI, and when I say that, I mean A-N-S-I, ANSI Security Awareness Standard that's sponsored by ASIS, A-S-I-S, ISC Squared, and ISACA, I-S-A-C-A. Terry has numerous information security and privacy certifications. You can see more about Dr. Curran at my Voice America business site for my show and look at the information about this episode to see more. So, Dr. Curran, thank you very much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Well, hello. It's a pleasure to be here. I can't wait to dive in and answer some of these wonderful questions today. Great. Well, it's going to be fun answering them because I always get some that are kind of broad and cover a large area, but then I also get some that are very specific. So I want to start out with one very, very specific and very uh, current. So here's a question from a reader. Um, He writes, I read a post from the owner of a longtime popular security software company where he claimed the presidential alerts that were sent on October 3rd, 2018. And for those of you outside of the U.S., these were alerts that came to everybody's uh, smartphones all at the same time on October 3rd. And it said it was a test of the the president's system, uh, emergency system. So anyway, the reader writes that he reads that those alerts are capable of accessing the E911 chip in our phones, which gives the government full access to the phone user's location, microphone, camera, and every other function of our phones. But then he says, well, is this true? Um, And how can we limit access to the data on our phones? How can we keep people from the government or from the telecommunications company or others from getting into our phone. So, whoo, that's that's a great question to start with, isn't it, Terry? What what do you think about this? Yeah, I think that's a great question as well. And, um, 
I'm working at uh, Kaiser University, and when that alert came through, it was amazing to hear the students' phones, the faculty phones, everybody beeping at the same time. Many people had been aware that this was coming, and a lot of people weren't. And, of course, we're down here in hurricane season in Florida, uh, Mm -hmm. so it made for an interesting experience uh, watching reactions and hearing comments uh, about uh, the alert system and what was really happening and going on. So um, this particular question I wanted to research, and I, and I did, and I learned a lot about this topic myself as well. So the answer, the short answer to your, to your listener is no, no. There's, there's really nothing to fear about this, and no, there is nothing that you can do about it. And I'll explain a little bit more about those statements. So the alert system that's being tested was actually mandated by law several years ago, in fact, um, 2006. And the responsibility for this particular law and activity is under the domain of the Federal Trade Commission. So, excuse me, so what happens is, as a result of this law, the President of the United States is allowed to make these emergency announcements at his discretion, but under the leadership and direction and vetting of the Federal Trade Commission. So this is in the event of a truly, truly large-scale and horrific disaster. Um, It is, for example, in the case of a hurricane uh, or in the event of an act of war or something on that level of magnitude that the president feels that he has a need to to articulate uh, information to the American people. So what? Ha- so there's a couple of things that went um, sideways in this particular post from this uh, software company. First off, there isn't an E911 chip in your phone. It, it just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. There is no such thing. So right. what we do have on our phone are GPS chips, and what we do have are the capabilities for telecommunications providers to reach us with a number of different alerts. But there's no chip, there's, there's no... Uh, there's, there's no deep, dark secrets about what's on our phone in that respect. There just isn't an E911 chip. What mm-hmm. does happen is, though, the FTC has mandated to the telecoms, to the telecommunications companies, that when this type of alert needs to be issued, it goes. It, there is no blocking. So, for example, you mm-hmm. can block things like Amber Alerts. You can block other county-related uh, alerts if you subscribe to them. Anything that you subscribe to, you certainly can unsubscribe from as well. This one mm-hmm. you cannot. So that's why I had the yes and no answer uh, at, at the beginning of this. So it's a great question. They, they can't track you. The only, I mean, the only tracking is obviously done by your contract with your telecommunications company. But mm-hmm. in terms of the government, be- government being able to know your whereabouts and so on, no, that's, that's just not true. So I hope that answers the question. Um, Rebecca, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, maybe uh, to, the, to reiterate what you said, it's, it's not a chip. It's not hardware, right? It's the, the E99 um, is a system. It's not an actual physical piece of hardware. So that's that's the first thing. So it's not like all of our smartphones are being subversively 
uh, subversively having these chips put in for this particular reason. So I think that's one of your points that I think is worth uh, repeating. And then also, like you said, it's um, coordinated by law, right, through uh, the telecommunications, and it's been a law that has been passed for many years. What I, I might even expand upon are the questions from the listener that talked about you know, access from other entities into your smartphone. So um, that's something that that smartphone uh, users, of course, uh, can control by knowing how what apps that they have on their phone, what their settings are on their phone, uh, if they're allowing their GPS to be discovered through those apps or by their telecommunications. Um, companies. So really, um, with regard to, like you said, with the the E99, it it was misrepresented by that uh, security um, software owner. But on the other hand, everyone still needs to make sure that they have a good understanding of what apps are on their phone and get rid of the ones that they don't use and then make sure that their settings are so that they aren't giving access to others that that they don't even realize. I don't know if you'd add any more to that or not, but it, you know, there, there's so many more risks beyond that particular E99 um, system uh, that people need to think about. Yeah, and and what a wonderful way and uh, what a wonderful thing to talk about during Cyber Awareness Month. So mm-hmm. I would I, I would love it if a vendor or or maybe even you Rebecca would come out with say a monthly or quarterly quarterly checklist. All right, your safety and security checklist. And so every month, perhaps you check your iPhone settings. Maybe every quarter you take a look at some aspect of your credit report. Right? Wouldn't it be really cool? to have a, a calendar and schedule, because for many users, looking at all these settings, as you're talking about, like GPS and mic and camera mm-hmm. and so on, um, people have lives. They, they forget, and they, they trust these devices. They, they, they become a part of our lives, and so they, they don't feel that there's any harm to them. Um, but, they, but there are, clearly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, a, a schedule, a, a cadence of events that people can do to integrate security into their into their devices and into their habits, that would be awesome. Yeah, kind of like my monthly Privacy for Professor tips, where I give those tips every month, right? <laughs> yes, so, indeed. Yes, indeed. But, you know, yeah. even, like a little wallet, even a little wallet card or something. Or something oh, you're that talking about keep... something they hold, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. We'll have to talk about that during another conversation. Yeah, definitely. But that uh, my September 28th tips that came out for October, I have four specific things I named in there for, that people could do for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So uh, definitely it aligns with your suggestions. So that's pretty cool um, that, that we're aligning in thought there. Um, so let's go on to the next one then. So here's a, a good question. And I I like it because I bet this is something that a lot of people, when they go to their doctor's uh, to their clinics, to their hospitals. This has probably happened more often than just this once. So this uh, listener said, you know, my medical clinic lost a document that was on paper and it had my health information in it, my PHI, and the clinic told me that they think 
that it had been shredded, but they weren't for sure what happened to that piece of paper because they finally cross-shred their documents. So they don't know what they've actually uh, shredded. And they said that it had not been scanned, so it was not digital. So then they asked me to fill out another paper form so that they had the information to put into my file again. And they told me that they don't have and will most likely never find that missing paper. So here's the the question. Is this a breach under HIPAA? And for those of you in other countries, that's a Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act that requires healthcare organizations to protect all forms of protected health information in certain ways. Um, So why I like this question is because um, a lot of people think that either you violate HIPAA clear, you know, like it's a black or white thing. Yes, it's violated or no, it's not. And I think this um, demonstrates that you need to think about and ask the clinic some questions like, well, uh, how do you track your documented um papers that have PHI on them. Don't you keep track of the specific things that are actually shredded? Do you have policies and procedures in place to govern this? A key thing about whether or not it's a breach is if they also have a a policy and a procedure for determining risk of actually having PHI that might be lost or misplaced to be discovered. So if they actually have a procedure in place that they followed to determine the likelihood that somebody got access to that uh, that missing piece of paper, uh, then it probably wasn't a breach. But, but you know, you need to ask more questions about it. Uh, the situation matters. The context within which the, the paper went missing matters. So that's something that any healthcare organization needs to make sure of. And uh, with regard to any legal rights they have, if it is a breach, again, it would depend upon getting more details around that. So uh, ultimately, if you think there's a breach, a HIPAA breach, and I see this in the news all the time, oh, well, that's a breach of HIPAA because that was patient information. Well, you got to look at a lot more of the details. So um, I guess that's that's my advice there. We don't know enough to give you a, a yes or no outright answer. And I don't know, Terry, if you have any other uh, thoughts to add to that as well. Um, just one, and, um, and and I share this with, with a lot of folks, don't be afraid to ask questions like this at any provider that you conduct business with. Uh, they should be prepared to answer security and privacy questions. So your dentist, your, your, your other care providers, uh, people that have pieces of your information, it's, it's not wrong to ask them. And uh, people need to be familiar with how your providers are handling your information. So you shouldn't feel guilty or, uh, or that you're questioning them. Yeah, you should. And if, they're que- and if their answers don't make you comfortable or if they just uh, you know, sh- uh, sh- aren't interested in answering you, um, I would I would maybe even escalate that to an office manager or something because you have the right to understand, and we, a lot of us are brought up to don't question people like doctors or nurses or dentists. Well, it's okay, and this is the law, and and if you feel that you have a question, you have to be able to ask that question. Great, I think that's wonderful advice, and two, um, or also. 
they have a way that um, on the Department of Health and Human Services site and also in other regulatory um, agencies, you can submit uh, complaints. So if, if they don't satisfy answering your question, then you could submit a complaint about that actual entity if, you know, you can't get anything out of them. So um, here's the next question. And I, I love this one. And I'm so interested in hearing what, what you're going to uh, provide to us. But what are some of the worst security and privacy practices that you've seen businesses do? And what should they have been doing to improve that security? I So I've been doing security, as, as you know, for, for many, many decades now. And I've seen some really, mm-hmm. really horrifying things, um, mm-hmm. as, as much now as then, uh, from years ago. So I think one of the worst things that you can do is, is be, be thinking all the time that security and privacy is expensive. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be. I think there are things that, that companies and businesses can do, I don't care if you're big or small, that don't cost money, okay? It, it's, it's things like management support. It's things like setting tone at the top that at this, or going back to your earlier question, you know, that security and privacy in HIPAA is important in this particular medical clinic. So, it, so that's one of the worst things that people consider about privacy and security is that it costs a lot of money, and then it gives them an excuse so that's the worst business practice I've seen, making excuses for not doing security. Mm. Um, so that's just one thing that I see. And also, I think, cutting corners. Um, I've actually seen businesses that will not test software code before they launch into mm. production. And right. that, to me, is just a, a hor- horrible, horrible um, shortcut that people justify because of project schedules or because of budget constraints or, or their, their coder contractor that they have is, is running off, is, is, is running out of contract money, whatever. There's no excuse. And in fact, I'm teaching an ethics course, an IT and security ethics course this semester. And this is one of the case studies that we talk about in class. So I think oh, that great. cutting corners is one of the most horrible practices that you could ever, ever, uh, go along with or, or allow. Um, and and I've, as I say, I've seen just so many, but I, I also think that there has been so much emphasis on the technology. We're, we're often ignoring the pieces of paper, to your other example, and mm-hmm. ignoring uh, simple physical things that we should be doing, and our management and leadership should be leading by example. So these are just some of the worst ones. They, they keep happening, they keep prevailing, and they're, they're easily fixed. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and talking about, you know, not testing code, something related to this. I mean, the entire change control procedures is a mess or missing in so many different organizations. But what I see so many organizations doing, especially small to midsize or um, that don't have someone there that has security background or expertise or startups who are trying to get things out quickly, they make changes directly in their production, um, production code. And then they cause all sorts of disruptions because they they just put it right out there in production. You know that they're changing in production instead of actually going through a change control procedure. 
So that drives me yeah, nuts, too. It, exactly right. You know, and, and change control procedures have been around forever. It's not just an IT thing or a computer cyber thing. It, it's been around forever. It's measured change into a production environment. And you're absolutely right. People will just rush to business because everybody demands instant gratification now. And so mm-hmm. that's another issue that, that can be changed by tone at the top. Change control um, documentation, all that—that's not going to cost you a dime. It's it's tone at the top, and you and you have to do business by these standards, right? Yes. And there's one other thing that that brings about really bad security and privacy issues in companies, and that's the whole—and it's not new—but the whole notion of shadow IT. So what will happen is in in many companies that I've experienced and seen people will bypass the traditional IT organizations because they can stand up an application that their business or department can use quickly, cheaply, and Mm -hmm. they don't have to go through those formal change control processes that we were just talking about. So now you have applications that the IT folks don't know anything about, Mm. but they're being expected to manage and maintain and secure. And yes. that's a horrible position to put them in. They they were not involved with the provisioning. They were not involved with the security review or the privacy review. And I see that happening so many times and with insecure code. And that is really a bad practice to get into. And it's really something we see quite frequently. Yes, yes. And, and if we can expand upon that, we're going to be having a break here in about a minute and a half. But I love this topic because it's so important. Um, related to that is allowing the personally owned devices into your business environment and oftentimes without you know, providing any direction to those who uh, all of a sudden here they come in with a new type of device or a new type of operating system and and they're connected to your business environment. So, you know, you didn't have any advanced uh, ability uh, if there's no procedure there. You didn't do any testing in advance to see if that would be compatible or what problems it would create. So I think the the BYOD and the IoT devices coming in um, without any pre-planning is also something that creates a lot of of potential huge risk to the the organizations. I don't know if you've uh, moved or worked with a lot of those IoT devices or seen them. Like I imagine at the university, you probably have to deal with a lot of that with the students and all their devices that are attaching to the networks there. Yes, yes. It's very difficult in a university environment, and um, there are certain safeguards that are put in place. Uh, again, you know, chiming in on the awareness theme, we're going to be doing some handouts. We're going to be doing um, awareness. I won't call it campaign because the campus that I'm at is we're not university-wide. I'm just handling the one campus. But we are going to start spreading the word about those types of things, about being secure. We're going to show them um, different tools that they can use. We'll be promoting um, support your IT people. You know, all those sorts of all the things right. that we're talking about on this on this. Uh, show, we will be communicating with them as well during the month. Great, great. Well, let's uh, put a pause here in our conversation because now it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors but that I do appreciate so much. We're speaking today with Dr. Terry Curran, answering a wide variety of listener questions about information security and privacy for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. Um, please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. 
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Now, today we're speaking with Dr. Terry Curran, and we're answering a whole hodgepodge of listener information security questions. So let's go ahead and continue on with some other great questions that I've gotten. Now, I love this next one. Uh, I had a listener say, well, have you ever gotten a phishing phone call? And what did they say? And what did you do? <laughs> so, uh, Terry, have you ever gotten any phishing phone calls? Oh, my goodness. So I don't know a person that owns a phone that has not gotten a phishing <laughs> phone call. I, I find that hard to believe, uh, given given the proliferation. I think I saw an article this past week that, uh, and, I, and, and I'd have to find the statistics for you, um, but at some point in time in the next year or so, the majority of phone calls that people get are going to be from uh, solicitors or from phishing uh, operatives or whatever. And that's scary. You're not even going to get mm-hmm. real phone calls. The majority of your phone calls are going to be from, from, as you used the word earlier, I think, nefarious individuals, right? So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. So, yes, I've gotten them. I get them every day. Um, they They... Lately, the most annoying ones are the ones that tell me I'm going to jail for whatever reason. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty law-abiding person. I don't think I'm going to jail. Um, mm-hmm. And what I do is 
uh, so there's a number of things that I do that people should be doing. Um, block the numbers. But what happens is they just start robocalling again anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the ones that tell me I'm going to jail, and they're usually associated with the phone numbers that look amazingly like my phone number. Mm-hmm. So by that I mean, so my area code is was issued in Boston, Massachusetts, where I'm from. And mm-hmm. so what these scammers have done is they start robocalling anything that they can with the same area code because human beings are going to look and see an area code that they recognize and say, oh, that's my cousin. Oh, that's mm-hmm. my girlfriend. And they're just going to answer the phone. And that's the mm-hmm. worst thing you can do. So you, you have to be so careful of anything that you're seeing on, on your phone. Um, so as I say, normally lately it's all about going to jail because of an IRS issue or they'll tell you that your your credit card has been hacked and you need to call this number right away. Uh, I just, I block them. I really always make sure that I'm on the do not call registries. I uh, also watch to see if I'm getting an uptick in not just the phone calls, but also if I'm getting spam messages on my email accounts. So I always watch, now it's because I do security, I think, also, but, but I also watch to see if there's an uptick in, in both of those kinds of activities because then that leads me to wonder and worry if I've really been compromised somewhere, if, if my information is really circulating somewhere, that more and more people are getting their hands on it, the bad actors are getting their hands mm-hmm. on it. So that's something that people can do. Just keep an eye on your whole persona, your, your whole phone iPad, tablet, whatever, whatever your online persona is, look for trends, you know, and see if there's something that might like raise your raise your interest or raise your eyebrows. Right, right, and so many of them come also from fake um, area codes in the U.S. Um, so you can even block on your phone the fake area codes. And I've sent out that information before in my uh, monthly tips. But if anybody listening wants me to send them that list of fake area codes that uh, the phone scammers use, I can send that to you. Plus, I've been, I've actually been recording mine. Um, You're probably not surprised, Terry, because you know me well enough, but I've been recording every time or most times uh, that I get these scam calls. I get a lot from people who are claiming to be from um, tech support and they need to get access to my phone. But what I want to do, it's funny, just last night I got a one and it was, well, I want to play it for you because it's really short, but I'm going to play it for you right now. Hold on. And I want our listeners to hear it. So this will give you an idea of another type of phone scam. So here we go. An emergency call to notify you that the license key of your Microsoft Windows is expired. To renew license key, please call toll-free 1-855-601-0009. This is an emergency call to notify you that the license key of your Microsoft Windows is expired. To renew license key, please call toll-free 1-855-601-0009. So how about that? I mean, um, you know, it's so obvious that it's coming from uh, a computerized voice. And then here's the funny thing. So it told me a phone number to call. So last night after I got that phone call, 
I called the number it said, and yeah, it was somebody trying to tell me that they wanted to have me go to a particular website, and then they wanted to get access to my computer, and of course, I didn't do that, and I also record those uh, different types of calls, but I'm not going to play, you know, more of the, the recordings because we have so many other questions go through, but um, I tried that same number again that they told me to call, and it had already been put out of order. It had already been disconnected. So I think the point here is that these phone scammers will also set up phone numbers for just very short periods of time so that they can try to scam as many people as they can in just, you know, a few hours time and then disconnect it to kind of try to cover their tracks so they can't be caught so easily. So, uh, yeah, phishing, big problem out there. So here, let's go on to the, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to, um, and again, in the spirit of Cyber Awareness Month, um, the phone calls, uh, I, I, you know, I, I worked with some of my students this past week about cyber awareness, and I asked them, do we have to worry about teaching kids? And, and again, now, just for context, we're doing a very small-scale cyber awareness exercise at, at my campus, and so I, I engaged my students, and I said, what do we have to do about uh, kids? And they said, we know how to take care of the kids. We don't have to tell our students how to protect kids, because that's been really covered. I said, okay, what about mm-hmm. parents and elders and grandparents? And they said, oh, yeah, and, and those are the ones that need to be worrying about fishing. So, so by nature, some of our elders, they, they hear these directives on these calls, either recorded or live, and, and, and sadly, they follow these directions. So if there's anything that we can do in Cyber Awareness Month to help others be mm-hmm. aware of these things, especially family members, that's huge. That's a, that's a big opportunity that we can all help with. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a, a good point. I would say, though, that for the young kids, there are certain areas that they fall victim to pretty easily with scam calls. And that that's like for free concert tickets or, you know, for things that are involving entertainers that they like. And, of course, it's easy for scammers to see, you know, people out on uh, websites, fan sites, and then target them. But, yeah, they're help your help your family help your friends and help them from being um victims i love that that's a that's a great tip so here's the next question since we're coming up on the holidays here can you believe it coming up quickly um one of my listeners said well if i'm purchasing something from a retailer online and they don't have a privacy policy but i really 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 want to buy it uh, it's a good price. What is the risk of just going ahead and making the purchase? So, you know, Terry, I know you've helped so many different retailers build security and privacy programs. What would you tell the, our listener about this? I would find that product someplace else. I, I truly would. And, and you and I might <laughs> yeah. go around a couple of times on that. But here's the thing. If, if you're a legitimate retailer... I don't care if, if you're here or in Europe, uh, if, if you're a legitimate retailer, then there are certain uh, guidelines and standards that you need to adhere to, um, mm-hmm. uh, the least of which for, for many are going to be Better Business Bureau standards or, or the banking standards if you're, if you're conducting uh, any kind of payment processing. There's so many, and we won't get into it here, but if, if you see an outlier 
where uh, they don't have sufficient documentation or contact information. If I looked mm-hmm. at a website and they didn't tell like where they you, you, their physical presence, or or if they don't have the privacy statement or or some kind of security statement, I, I simply just wouldn't buy from from that company. Now maybe I'm being a purist because I, that's that's our training, of course, as as we've been doing for many years, but I see lots of things online that I'd like to buy, but I do that kind of quality check, and no, I, w- I wouldn't give them my information. I really wouldn't. And I, I agree with you. I mean, and it's been so long since organizations started going online. There is absolutely no reason why a legitimate business would not have a privacy notice or privacy policy posted on their website. But I think one other important point is the fact that when you come up on the holidays where a lot of people are buying online, that's where you get a lot of scam sites too. So you might be at a site that looks like it's a legitimate retailer um, that you've heard of, but it might be someone who you know made a copy of, of a legitimate retailer site and they put it up just to get your money, your credit card information and everything else. So, you know, that's another reason why you wouldn't want to um, do business with one that doesn't have a, a, a legitimate posted privacy uh, notice. Of course, scammers can put those up too, but that's just one red flag to have. And then uh, there's a lot of uh, fly-by-night types of of the sites that go up, you know, we have some great bargains buy from us, but then as soon as you give them uh, your credit card information, maybe they're up for two or three days and then they disappear and you lose all your money. Um, so that that's another thing, especially if you're paying with a debit card or your checking account number, which a lot of the scammers like to collect from you from online. Um, here's another question. I love this question because it gives me an opportunity to to point out something that a lot of people don't realize. So in the U.S., um, there are credit reports that everyone who's uh, in the U.S. can get at least once a year from the three primary credit reporting agencies. So the, the listener asks, um, do credit reports tell me everything I need to know about the misuse of my personal data. And I like this because so many people think that they they cover everything that would show you a flag for what might be going on with your personal data. Certainly, you need to look at them. You need to take advantage of having that legal right to get access to them. But think about this. If somebody stole your medical information, that's not going to show up in a credit report. So there's a lot of data such as your medical records that somebody might have gotten their hands on that you will not see listed in a credit report even if it was breached and a hospital or health insurance company reported it. That generally does not show up in those credit reports. So what that leaves a responsibility for you to do to help ensure that your medical information is not being used inappropriately, which would be medical identity theft, which can also impact your actual health if other people are are changing your medical records, is to ask your healthcare provider to review your records occasionally. Uh, in the U.S., you have a, a legal right to do that, and now in growing numbers of other um, countries, uh, laws in other countries, you can get that information too. So that's just one example of of things that you won't find in a credit report. 
And I don't know, Terry, if you have other points to make about the credit reports or not. Uh, no, I think you covered it uh, quite nicely. The the credit reports are there for really certain things, and I think people do assume that they are helping them with everything in their lives, and, and that's that's not the case. So I think you covered it. Great, great. Well, here's a here's a good one. And I kind of laughed at this, but then I kind of like, yeah, I know what they mean. So here's a, a listener that says, you know, people keep tagging me online and Facebook on their photos and on other sites. And after I've asked them to stop, now they're doing it more. They think they're being funny. You know, I don't want to lose them as friends, but I really don't feel like they're my friends if they keep doing things like this that I've asked them to do. I just want them to stop. So what can I do to keep people from tagging me in photos and in posts um, on social media in the first place? So what advice do you have for that? Terry. Oh boy, I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of advice <laughs> on that. You know, so there's a lot of Facebook. Just uh, before I get to directly answering that, so there's a lot of Facebook backlash of recent weeks. Um, people are tiring of the breaches, and I'm not talking just mm-hmm. about um, adults. I even, even again, students ask me about these things, mm-hmm. and and so people of all ages are worried about Facebook and. Uh, I see that there's a that there's a shift. Uh, people don't feel that it has to be such an essential part of their lives any longer, and I think mm-hmm. that people are tightening up their security uh, parameters and their settings on Facebook because of the breaches and all the publicity. Now, to to answer the question a little more directly, you don't have to have. I tell my nieces this all the time. You do not have to have fifteen thousand friends on Facebook. <laughs> you only need to have right. your good friends. All right, and and so this is something that we have to teach people that this is not a, a game, it's not a popularity contest, and truly these people are not your friends if, 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 they're, if they're, first off, not respecting your wishes. But then also mm-hmm. there are so many fake friends out there. I get, I get invitations all the time. Be my friend, be my friend. I don't know who these people are. I have no idea what their connection is. So that's, that's really the more elementary part of this. First off, you don't need that many friends. And then second off, uh, if, and if they are behaving in a way that makes you uncomfortable, then don't be their friends. And that's our way in life, too. I, I think what we have to realize is, is that Facebook has just become an extension of that life experience. So, mm-hmm. yeah, though, that's what I think, although I'm sure that there are many that would disagree with me, but that's, that's my two cents. Well, and to your point about settings, too, I mean, in Facebook and in most other social media sites now, you actually can, there's a setting that will prevent other people from tagging you in photos and videos and posts, too. So if you go into your settings and just keep people from doing that, that will solve your problem really quickly. I know in Facebook you can do that. In another um, site you can do that. There might be some social media sites that I don't use that don't have those settings, but that's something else that you can keep doing. It's kind of funny when I um, – I, gosh, when did I get on Facebook? It must have been 2008. 2007 it's been quite a while ago now but um, people started tagging me in in weird ways I mean people like to tag uh, 
people in photos just if they want them to see the photos, right? So I had this one person that I've never met, and they kept tagging me in photos of their produce that they took photos of, like of their peppers and their tomatoes, and they would tag me in the their uh, vegetable photos. <laughs> and I finally, I just uh, I had to make sure that my settings were in there. That was back before they had the restriction on on tagging, so I just had to block them from from even uh, getting access to me because they kept tagging me in these photos. So it can can be obnoxious. So weird. Um, okay, here's another great one. And I know this one probably is one like, uh, you know, okay, this is, this is pretty standard security 101. How often should I scan my computer for viruses? So what, what Dr. Curran, what would you advise here? The doctor says constantly and always. So, uh, you know, there are, there are varied uh, products out there. Um, you should be scanning all your files when they're being used. You should be running scheduled scans in the background. Um, whatever you have, uh, use it and, and be scanning constantly as, as frequently as you possibly can. When, when I considered this question, um, th- there was one thing that occurred to me. So what I think we need to remind people are that if they're not scanning, or maybe they only have one tool that they don't update often or whatever, but so as consumers, there's a ton of free antivirus, uh, antivirus. there's a ton of free mm-hmm. malware tools out there. So, for example, a lot of the, a lot of the telephone providers, the telecoms, they'll give you, as part of your phone contract, they give you a free AV. Right? Yes. And I won't mention yeah. my name, certainly, but go check. So if you buy a new computer, you're getting free AV. I, I, mm-hmm. I bet you that you're getting free AV. Um, a lot of the software that, and, and again, using the academic reference, so um, we, buy, we sell and buy a lot of computing equipment. Most of that comes with, with, uh, with antivirus tools. So maybe they're for six months, maybe they're for a year. But if they're not free, they're certainly cheap enough. So what I would encourage people on your on your uh, show to be thinking about is, gosh, uh, I don't have to spend a lot of money on this and make sure that I'm taking advantage of all the freebies that I have coming to me, either from my electric company, my phone company, my, my, my uh, Internet provider. So yep. many offer these now as add-ons and value-add, and you should take advantage of it. Yeah, everyone needs to use antivirus all the time. It should be scanning all the time. So great answer. Um, I, I, oh, I got so many more questions, and we're starting to get close to the end here. Well, we, we still have about 10, 12 minutes. But anyway, here's another one. And I relate to this one so much uh, because I've, I've seen so many people doing this while I travel. So here's a listener that says, I have vision problems. So I use a larger screen tablet and a larger size smartphone and I put it on really large font and I also travel by air a lot. But there are always people sitting nearby and they're always looking at my screen and I find it really rude and annoying but I don't want to start confronting everyone. What can I do to keep nosy people from snooping and you know I see that a lot um, while traveling and here's something that and full disclosure I've been a 3M um, privacy advisor for the last couple of years but 
privacy screens. There are these physical devices called privacy screens, and 3M provides them, um, but also there are other providers that provide them too. But I know 3Ms because I use them and I love them. Basically, you can put the screens uh just attach them to what you're looking at. And what's really cool is you have to be looking straight on at your tablet or your laptop screen or your smartphone in order to actually see what's on there. If people try to look from the side, they aren't going to see anything. So it, it can be a big privacy and security problem if you're doing work or you're reading email or you're making purchases or paying bills while you're traveling and, and you're looking at your screen. So definitely get one of uh, get a privacy screen of some sort to put on your, your screen so others close by to you and public cannot see it. Here's another great one. And Terry, I know this is one that I think will be great for you. Um, we just got a new ring physical security monitoring system for our home as a gift. I've read what you've said about security and privacy problems. And there, this is from a tips reader, I think, uh, with a lot of the physical security uh, systems. Is Ring a secure system to use? And so what do you have uh, maybe in the last couple of minutes? Oh my gosh, we're already down to just four minutes left. But what would you advise about those security systems like that? Are they safe? Um, I think they're as safe as they possibly can be. And And as a security practitioner, I can tell you that anything can be broken. Anything, we, we have to always assume that any technology for some of the reasons that we've talked about on, on this program, and I'm certainly not saying that Ring is, is, has done anything weird or, or bad in their development or design process, but if, if there's a way to make money or, or, or compromise the system, the bad actors are going to figure it out. So I don't ever maintain that any system is secure. What I, what I worry more about with Ring is the privacy aspect. Now, I, in, 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 in preparing for this, I did a little... Um, research, as you would expect, and there's a lot of uh, condo associations and other uh, housing organizations that simply won't allow them in, in a gated ah. community, for example, or whatever, because they are worried about the privacy aspects of who can see and who can't see and what's being shared in the community as a whole, and they're recommending that people do things like community watch as opposed to putting rings in, 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 their, in their homes. Now, is that right or wrong? I'm not sure, but it, te- it just tells me that people are worried about the privacy aspect, of it. not just the mm-hmm. security, but the privacy. And the other thing I learned, too, Becky, and, and I didn't know this, so these systems, these, these video surveillance systems, you know that they cannot be used in Europe. They cannot yes. be used. They right. are against the law in the European Union. So devices like Ring are prohibited. You cannot do any kind of general video or audio surveillance at all. And yes. so... Tying back into this whole Internet of Things discussion and controversy, um, I, I think that people should be cautious. I think they should be wary. I think they should be watching, um, watching their own behaviors as, and, and yes. feeling how they feel about privacy. So that's, that's my take on it. Well, that's a great take, and we, we are out of time now. I just uh, got the notice, so I can't believe it. the time went by so fast. I do want to add just one thing to the folks that get those, though. Um, make sure you change the default settings and the default passwords because too many people just don't change the defaults, and then everybody knows what 
their password is. So um, thank you so much, Terry, for being on the show today. You provided so many great insights, and I, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here with you. Well, today we've been speaking with Dr. Terry Curran, cybersecurity IT faculty at Kaiser University, answering listener questions. You can see more about Terry at her LinkedIn page and at my Voice America business show site. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings right after the live time. You can find recordings of all my past shows on all those different um, apps that I discussed at the beginning and also of course on the voiceamerica.com business channel website and feel free to contact me for security and privacy keynotes uh, being an expert witness and also for any other services you need Um, I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.